If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to two passages, Mark chapter 9 and Psalm 100. Again, that's Mark chapter 9 and Psalm 100. We are finishing our series today called The Christian Atheist. And what that means is uh, we know what an atheist is. There's someone who doesn't believe that there is a God, so they live their life accordingly, like there is no God. What a Christian atheist is, is someone who believes that there is a God, but they live their life just like everybody else. And when you look at them, you'd say, you probably don't actually believe there's a God based on the way that you're living and acting. And today, by finishing up, we're going to be talking about people who believe in God, but don't trust him fully. How many of you guys here have control issues? Any of you, I, I'm raising my hand. I saw someone try to raise their spouse's hand. You have a control issue. Because <laughs> you're trying to... Uh, for me, one of the big ones is the remote control. Any of you guys like holding on to the remote control? I don't know why, but, and I was thinking about this because my wife brought it up to me. She's like, how come we always watch what you want to watch? I'm like, well, because I have the remote control. I mean, <laughs> that's just how it works. It's like calling shotgun. I got it first. And so I started thinking about that, and I'm like, I honestly do have a control issue when it comes to the remote control. Are any of you guys always have to be the driver? Any of you are, if you're going anywhere, yep, I see some people raising their hands. It doesn't matter. You are going to be driving that vehicle. Nobody else can do that. Now, if it's your vehicle, I can understand that. I have one friend that in the 11 years I have known them, I have never once driven anywhere with them. And there's been times we took my car <laughs> and they drove my car. They have an issue with control. Now, why is it that we have these control issues? And the reason is, is because we, at the core, have trust issues. I don't trust my wife with the remote control because I know that if she has it, we're going to be watching a show about someone fixing up a home, someone shopping for a home, or someone uh, tricking their friends into thinking they're getting together, and then they find out that everybody thinks they dress horribly and they're going to do a makeover for them. And so I try to guilt my wife. I'm like, oh, great, we're watching a show that just reinforces the idea that you have to look a certain way for people to really love you and accept you in our society. <laughs> it's my little passive-aggressive way of you know, trying to manipulate things. Like, good, I hope our daughter gets to watch this real soon. <laughs> or the reason why you, you want to drive the car and you don't let anybody else do that is because you don't trust your life with anybody else. And I can understand that. That 94-23 interchange, there are times where I'm like, it needs me and Jesus taking the wheel and everybody in the world praying for me, or else my whole family is going to be a statistic. <laughs> you know, our control issues that are really at the source trust issues bleed over into our spiritual life as well. Because what happens is oftentimes we say, we believe in you, God, but we just don't trust you fully. And if you don't trust God fully, what happens is you will never fully submit your life to him. You will live a partially surrendered life. It says this in Psalms chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart, lean on your own understanding, and some of your ways acknowledge him, and you can make your own path straight. And that's uh, in the PSV, the partially surrendered version. Now, that's, that's not what the Bible actually says. But if someone were to look at your life, would they believe that that's what you believe the Bible says? Do we have trust issues with God that make it so that we're never able to fully surrender our lives to him and give him control over our life? Uh, some of us might say, yeah, God, uh, I know that you've called me to give. I believe that you're my, my provider and I'll give some, but I'm not going to tithe. And I'm not going to give uh, sacrificially and generously because I have to make sure that I have enough. I don't really believe that you're the one who's going to be my provider. Or evangelism. 
We all know we're called to go out and we're to preach the gospel, to demonstrate and to model the love of Jesus and make known the way of salvation to others. And so we take a little baby step and we're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to share a Christian meme on Facebook and the, the whor- people are just going to give their lives to Jesus. But, God, I don't actually have enough trust in you to share my faith with someone one-on-one, with one of my family members or one of my friends because I think it all depends on me. Or maybe it's the plan for your life. God, I believe that you have a plan for my life. I believe that you have something that you've called me to, but I just can't surrender to that fully. I have to make the plan. I have to know where it is that I'm going. God, I can't fully trust you with the plan in the course of my life. (coughs) Maybe it's some area of obedience. You say, God, I believe that you want me uh, to do this thing, but I just can't do it yet. God, I just can't fully step forward and commit to doing the thing that I know that you're calling me to do. Or maybe it's even in this new life that God's given you and you're trying to live out. You say, God, I believe that I am a new creation, that you've given me new life, that I can live in a new way, in a better way, in the way that you've called me to. But I just don't trust you fully that I'm going to find joy in that life. I can't leave all of these things behind because I like them and I don't believe that in following you I'm going to find the fulfillment, the joy, the peace, the contentment, or the purpose that I want that I used to find in my old life. Uh, Whatever it is, a Christian atheist believes that God says something, that God is, but they live a life where they just can't fully and completely trust him. And here are some reasons why we don't completely trust God. Number one, we don't think he is able. We say, God, there are some things that are possible, and I will believe you to do the possible things, but there are some things that are just impossible, and you can't do those things. Have you guys ever done that? You try to rationalize things with God. God, I believe you can do all things that are possible, but this is just something that's beyond the scope of what reality could ever be. Uh, For me, I remember being a kid, you know, like when I was 24, and going to Disneyland. I was fourth grade, I think. Uh, and I went there, and there's Space Mountain. I don't know if any of you have ever been on that, but I was, I'm not a roller coaster person. I, I'm scared I'm going to throw up on someone, and that would just be a humiliation beyond what I think I could actually get through in life is to know that I vomited on someone on a roller coaster. And so we're standing there in line for Space Mountain, and uh, like my, our, my cousins are with me, and my dad's there, and I love my dad. And at that time in your life, you think your dad's invincible, that there's no one stronger or better than your dad. They can protect you from everything. And I believed my dad, he would keep me safe. And he told me, he's like, Jeremy, don't worry about it. You're going to be safe. It's going to be okay. Nothing's going to happen. And I thought, Dad, I believe that you will do everything in your power to keep me safe. But there is nothing you can do to keep me from flying out of that lap guard and down to my death or throwing up on someone. This is just beyond what's possible for you to do. And so what I did was I started crying right there in the middle of the line <laughs> to get out of having to go on it. And I remember, you know, walking by and everybody's looking at me like, what on earth is this kid crying about? But I was so scared and I just didn't trust that my dad could keep me safe. And that happens with us. We say, God, there are some things I believe are possible for you to do, but there are some things that are impossible for you and I won't trust you for those things. In the story of Abraham and Sarah, God says, I'm going to give you a child. And he even comes and reminds them again and says, one year from now I'm going to return and you're going to have a a child. And Sarah hears this and she starts laughing because she's in her 80s and she says, you know, am I at my age, you know, going to have a child? She says, God, there's no way. God, let me explain biology to you, but people in their 80s don't have children. Because she said, this isn't a possibility even for God. There are things that we don't trust God in fully because we think it's something that's too hard even for God to do. Number two, we think he is slow. 
You say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this thing. All right, God, I believe that you can do it. You're the God who's able. You're the God who's for me. You sing some songs, get yourself psyched up. Say, okay, God, here it is. Here's this thing I'm going to trust you with. Oh, God, you haven't done anything yet. I can't trust you yet. It's been five seconds, and you still haven't moved a mountain. And you pull it back, and you think, God's just too slow. I've got to make this happen in my own time. And you guys have all done that. Everybody's looking at me like I'm the only person in the world that's ever done that. We've all done that, where we trusted God with something, we expected the, the clouds to part and the angels to sing and the dove to descend, and it didn't happen in three seconds, and so you start saying, oh, this must not be what God said. Maybe this isn't what really is supposed to happen. I've got to make this happen on my own. This happened with Abraham and Sarah as well. Abraham, after having this promise of a child for years, and God still hasn't done anything, and he says, you know what? I'm just going to have a son on my own. This is, must be what God's taking his time. Maybe God wants me to go and to make a son on my own. And so he, he sleeps with his wife's servant and bears a son through her, and that ends up causing the greatest human conflict that has ever occurred and continues to go on to this day. It's all because of the fact that he didn't trust God completely because of the timeline that God was operating in to bring about the fulfillment of the promise. The third thing is sometimes we don't believe he can do it for us. We think God can do it for someone else. God, you're fully able, we fully trust in your timeline, but I just don't think that you can do this for me. I don't think that you can do this in my own life. There's a man named Charles Blondin who was a French tightrope walker, and what his claim to fame is is that on September 14, 1859, he became the first person to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. 186 feet above the water, walking a span of 1,100 feet, he crossed a tightrope over Niagara Falls. And the press is gathered there, and they're all amazed by this because it's never been done before. And honestly, it is a pretty amazing feat that he's accomplished. And then he does this, and everybody's like, wow, that was amazing. And he tries to follow it up. So to make it even better, he gets a pair of stilts, and he walks across the tightrope on stilts. This is getting old and people aren't getting into it anymore, so he gets a burlap sack like he used for potato sack races and he hops across the tightrope on that. Then, I don't know if he just got really bored or what, but he walked out to the middle of the rope, sat down, cooked an omelet, ate the omelet, got up, and then walked across the rest of the way. After doing this, one of the reporters there said, Charles, you're amazing. I bet you could push a wheelbarrow with someone in it across a tightrope. And Charles said, you're right, get in. The guy says, no. <laughs> like, not me. I believe you could do this for someone, but there's no way I'm going to trust that person to be me that does it. Now, how many times has that happened to us where we say, God, I know that you can do this. God, I believe that you can. God says, get in. And you're like, oh, no, no. Like for someone else, obviously, you can, you can call someone else to be a missionary in Africa, but me, no, there's no way that I'm going to do that. Or yeah, I believe that you can restore a marriage for someone else, but you couldn't do that inside of my marriage. We keep coming up with these ways that disqualify us from being someone who could be the recipient of a move of God in our lives so we don't fully trust ourselves to him. And then number four, we don't think he loves us. And this manifests itself in many different ways. And it usually happens in a difficult or painful season of life. It happens when you're going through a divorce. It happens in the death of a loved one, an estrangement from a child or from a sibling or parent. It happens when there's the death of a dream inside of you. There's some bitter disappointment that occurs. 
And the question is, how could God let this happen to me? If God really loved me, why would this have happened to me? And this is something that, that Anna and I have found ourselves in. I remember, gosh, it must be going on six years ago that we decided that we were going to plant this church. And you know, we said, okay, we're going to plant this church, we're going to move, and January everything is going to be awesome. And then we ended up finding out that we were pregnant with our first child that was due the third week of January. And while I'll take full responsibility for that, I'm not going to blame that one on God. <laughs> but I was like, okay, this definitely, you know, the timing of this is not optimal. And then I got a cancer diagnosis. I thought, God, I have a child on the way. I'm supposed to be moving to plant a church, and now I have cancer. And then Anna's dad got a cancer diagnosis. And he was at stage four, and he had a 17% chance of living. And we had to move over here, and we had to watch him diminish in his health and eventually pass away. Uh, more surgeries that I've had, and then tumors in my pancreas, and, and the pain that came along with that. It's, it's been hard. And I remember one time when I was in a lot of pain, and you know, just kind of thinking back and all of the things that had happened, and I started thinking, God, I don't really know that things are going to be okay again. I kind of believe that you're the God who can make everything right. You're the God who can restore. But at this moment, God, I don't know if things ever will be okay again, if I'm ever going to see the fulfillment of all the things that I feel that you spoke to me. Because if you were the God who was able to do that, then why did you let all of this stuff happen to me? God, if you really loved me, why, if, if I haven't been faithful to you and just pouring out my life, pursuing you, why, why are all of these things happening to me? Why are we going through this? And if you find yourself in that place, it's a place that everyone has found themselves in at some time. And even David, as he's writing, he's a man after God's own heart who is used in incredible ways. As you look through the Psalms and he sees times where he's saying, God, if I'm really the anointed king of Israel, how could this be happening to me? If you've really chosen me for this purpose, then why is it that my enemies are pursuing me? Why are people trying to kill me? Why are my own children rebelling against me? God, I'm so miserable, I wish that I would just die. Where are you, God? how I'm going to see the fulfillment of everything you've spoken to me when I can't really trust that you love me. Because if you really loved me, then how did I end up here? Now, there are a lot of reasons why we believe in God but don't just trust him fully. And if that's you this morning, you aren't alone in your faith struggle. And I want you to know that. If you're there, you're just like everybody else in the entire world at some point in their life and at some point in their faith. And in Mark chapter 9, we read about this. And what happens in Mark chapter 9 is there's a family that has a son. And the son is demonized. And the demons kind of overtake him and he starts having seizures. And they try to throw him into fires. The demons are trying to kill their son. So they take the son to the disciples and they say, cast this demon out of him. And so the disciples try to cast the demon out, but nothing happens. It's still there. It's still trying to kill their son. And Jesus hears a commotion that's going on. It's getting heated. The parents are yelling. The disciples are yelling. People are freaking out. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, what is it that's going on? And the parents begin to explain to Jesus what's happening with their son. And in verse 22, it picks up and they're talking to Jesus and they say, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Do you identify with those parents? 
Sometimes you say, God, I do believe. I, I believe that I can trust you. But God, I'm having trouble with this unbelief that's inside of me. There's a war that's going on inside of my spirit of where I believe you, I believe these things you say, but there's this unbelief and they're butting heads and they're competing inside of me for the decisions that I'm going to make, for the peace that's supposed to be guarding my heart and my mind. And if you're going through this, I want you to really think about this. Identify these areas of where you say, God, I trust you. I kind of do but not all the way. What is that area that you're struggling with to trust God in fully? Are you struggling to really surrender yourself to him? And write it down. Say, I don't fully trust God with what? Maybe it's with your children as you're trying to raise them, or maybe there's become some concerns with your adult children. Uh, maybe it's the relationship with your parents or siblings or other family relationships. Maybe it's for your own salvation. You're having trouble trusting that God really has saved you, that he really loves you, that he really has a future for you, and that you can know him intimately and personally. Maybe it's with your finances. There's concerns that are going on in there. You know what God's calling you to do, but you just don't fully trust him. Maybe it's that you have trouble believing that he's really forgiven you. Maybe you're struggling to believe God fully that he's your protection, that he's your provision, that he wants what's best for you, that he loves you, that he can heal you. Maybe you're having trouble trusting the plan of God for your life when you hear him speaking to you. He's calling you to do something, but you have trouble surrendering control of your life to his plan and to his purposes for you. What is that area that you're struggling with unbelief in? Where you say, God, I believe you, but I have this unbelief inside of me as well. And odds are that one of the greatest areas that you're going to struggle with unbelief in is in the area that God has called you to. I don't struggle with unbelief in my call to be a ballerina because there is no call on my life to be a ballerina. I've never had to deal with that issue. You know where I struggle with unbelief? Was that I could be a teacher. I might not be a lot of things in life, but I'm a teacher. That's who I was made to be. It's the gift that God put inside of me. It's a spiritual gift that he gave me. But I remember when the first opportunity came up for me to teach, and I was scared. I thought, I can't do this. There's no way I could ever possibly do this. I wanted to back out. I wanted to chicken out. I did a couple of times. Because the area that God called me to, Satan came in and contested and caused unbelief to flourish inside of me. And the call to, to plant a church here. It was what I was called to do. Ann and I, this, was what, this is what our life is about, is in doing this thing. And there were so many times that I struggled with it and unbelief that came on. Other people were coming to plant churches in our city. I'm like, you can do it. You're going to be the greatest pastor ever. You're going to see thousands of people come to know Jesus. And I'd seen God do all of these things. But when it came to my belief that he could do it inside of me, I thought I was going to be a failure. Because instead of looking at my shortcomings and recognizing these were the places where God was going to come in and to make me strong and to empower me to do the work that he called me to, I looked at my weaknesses, the things that I said, I can't do this because I'm disqualified by my inabilities to do this. I said, God, I don't trust you to be able to do this in my life because I'm so weak and I'm so limited. God knows your weaknesses and he knows your limitations. And that's why he comes. And in our weaknesses, we're made strong by him. But Satan is always going to come and he's going to contest that area that you're called to and fill you up with doubt and unbelief so that you will never fully trust God and never fully surrender to his plan and to his call for your life. 
Every one of us struggles with disbelief, unbelief in some areas. But every single one of us can also develop a trust in God, a wholehearted trust in God. And here's how. In Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now that word acknowledge is really key to this verse because acknowledge comes from the Hebrew word yada. And what that means is coming to know and coming to submit by the means of observing, reflecting, and experiencing. It's saying, God, I'm learning you, I'm knowing you, I'm submitting to you because I've been observing, I've been reflecting, and I've been experiencing who you are. And now because of that, I'm able to submit my life to you. And the word know, that's not talking about just knowledge, like you've got the Bible memorized and you just have a head knowledge of God. That word, the first time we see the word know used in the Bible is in Genesis, and it says, uh, Adam knew Eve and they conceived a child. And now that doesn't mean necessarily like, you know, huh, but what it means is that there's this intimate covenantal relationship that's occurring and that out of that, there's this deep, intimate knowing of another person because you've been observing them, you've been reflecting on who they are, and you've been experiencing them. And we can trust in God, we can acknowledge or submit ourselves to him because we know God. We've entered into that covenantal relationship where we know that he is there, he is our salvation, he is our source of life. We're tasting, we're seeing and knowing that God is good. And because of this, we can trust him, we can submit ourselves to him. And when we fully submit ourselves to him, it says, then he makes our path straight. But what we want is, is for God to make all of our paths straight, to lay everything out for us, know that in, this is my life from this point until I go to heaven. Here's the whole plan for it. It's all going to work out. Okay, God, I see the plan. Now I'm going to trust you. But that's not how it works. God says, when you acknowledge me, when you submit to me, when you have a wholehearted trust in me first, then I'm going to make your path straight. But the faith always comes first. Because what faith is, it's the assurance of things that are unseen. It's not looking at the plan that God has laid out for your life over the next 80 years and saying, yep, I like that, that's a pretty good plan. Okay, God, here's my stamp of approval, inspector number five, now I'm going to trust you, God. No, that's not what it is. It's saying, God, because I've come to know you, because I've seen your goodness, because I've seen your faithfulness and your love for me, now I can submit myself to you, knowing that you're going to make a straight path for me and that you're going to take me to the place that I've been called to. But the reason we don't trust him is because we really don't know him. We know about him, but we don't know him. And since we don't know him, we never take that step of faith to trust him and submit ourselves to him. The African impala is an amazing animal. They can jump over a fence that is 10 feet high and if they're running, they can leap a distance of over 30 feet. But the African impala is oftentimes kept in zoos with nothing more than a three-foot-high solid wall as their enclosure. Doesn't it seem like they should be able to escape that pretty easily? And you can hurdle that easy. If you can jump 10 foot and over a 30-foot distance, you can clear a three-foot wall. But the reason why that can keep them contained is because an impala will never jump 
where they can't see where the landing spot is. So that three-foot wall blocks their view of where they're going to land, and they will never jump to a place that they can't see. When it comes to following Jesus, you are always called to take a step of faith. You are always called to jump and land in a place that you don't fully know, a place that you can't see. But because you trust in Jesus, you know that you can take that step. But what Satan does is he comes and he knows that God has incredible plans for you. He knows that if you just submit yourself to him, the world is going to change. You're going to change. Your family's going to change. It's going to be bad news for the domain of darkness when you fully surrender yourself to the rule of King Jesus in your life. And when you say, God, I'm going to leap where I can't see. And so he just keeps planting these seeds of doubt and unbelief in you. He says, you don't even know where God's taking you. You can't see where it's going. Don't jump. And so this little three-foot wall in our life keeps us from doing all of the things that God has called us to. When we have the ability by the power of God in us to leap over 10-foot, over 30-foot distance, this wall cannot contain us if we're just willing to jump to a place that we can't see. And this is what God does. Jesus is always sitting there calling you. He's saying, come on. Jump. Trust me. I'm going to take you into things better than you can possibly imagine. I'm going to take you places beyond your wildest dreams. The blessings that I have for you, the things that I want to do through you are more than your mind can contain. But it's going to take you putting faith in me. It's going to take you making that leap of faith. It's going to take you jumping to the place where you can't see where you're going. You have to trust me. And when we do, I'm going to make your path straight. I'm going to take you into the fulfillment of all of the things that I've promised to you. But again, the reason why we don't trust and the reason why we don't jump is because we don't know God. All of our reasons for not trusting God completely come down to us not knowing him wholeheartedly, not knowing him fully. And the key to trusting God is knowing God. That's what it all comes down to. Every control issue you have in your life really at the heart of what it is is a trust issue. And every trust issue comes because you don't know God well enough. You don't know him full enough to fully surrender to him. And if you want to know God, if you want to develop that knowing of God, that yada of God in your life, Psalm 100 gives us this incredible glimpse into how we can build that. It says in Psalm 100, 3 through 5, you know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So if you want to stop being a Christian atheist, this is what you need to do. Is Number one, you need to get to know the goodness of God. You need to know how good he is. How unspeakably good. How perfectly good. Good beyond comprehension. That's how good God is. And then secondly, you have to get to know the love of God. How great his love is for you. How perfect. How consuming. How all-encompassing God's love is for you. And then thirdly, you need to get to know the faithfulness of God. 
faithful from the beginning to the end, faithful in every generation. So this is how faithful God is, is that in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they disobeyed God, he didn't just say, you're on your own now. He didn't say, you're going to get the wrath that you deserve. When he spoke to them, even in Genesis chapter 3, when he speaks to them and addresses their sin, in that he plants the first seed of the plan that he has to save them. When he speaks that the woman is going to bear a child, and that the snake is going to bruise his heel, but that the son is going to stomp on the head of the serpent. What that was looking forward to was the cross. When Jesus would come, when God would give up the glory of heaven and come to his people to save them, that's how faithful God is. He had a plan from the beginning, and he's seen it through to completion. In every generation, every people, we have all been called. We have all had provision made for us. And the love of God is demonstrated on the cross. We wouldn't go to die in such an excruciating way for a people that have been our enemies, to the people that have destroyed your creation, to the people that have hated you and despised you. None of us would give our life for such a person. But Jesus' love for us is so great that even though we had rejected him, even though we had lived as his enemies, even though all of the things that we've done and all of the things that have been done to us, he still went to the cross on our behalf to save us because of his perfect love for us. There's no other love like it in all of the world. It's found only in Jesus. In his goodness, God is so good that he was able to become the atoning sacrifice for us. None of us could save ourselves because of our sin. None of us could save each other because of our sin. But Jesus is so good, so pure, so holy, so spotless that he was able to become the sacrifice in our place. And he bore the wrath of God in our place so that we could become recipients of the grace and the mercy of God so that we could have the righteousness of Jesus. So now when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see the things that we've done and the things that have been done to us, our shortcomings, our inadequacies. He looks at us and he sees the Son. That's how faithful, that's how loving, and that's how good Jesus is. And when we decide that we're going to enter into this relationship with him, that we're going to yada God, a covenantal relationship where we're growing in our experiences, we're growing in our knowing of who God is and his love for us, when we fully submit ourselves to him, it says that we become his people. He's our God, he's our Father, we're his family. It says that we're his sheep, which is a lot better than it sounds like to us culturally today. But it says that we, the sheep, we enter through the gates of thanksgiving. And this is an actual thing. This isn't just a metaphor. In the temple, there were the gates of thanksgiving that you entered into, and it's saying that we, the sheep, we enter into the presence of God through the gates of thanksgiving. And that only happened once a year, and it was for the sheep to be sacrificed. And you might be saying, that sounds like a terrible idea. I definitely don't want to do that. What it's saying is that when you yada God, 
You sacrifice the control of your life. You say, God, my act of worship, my act of sacrifice to you is to say, I'm giving you full control. I'm submitting and I'm surrendering my life to you because I know you're good, because I know you're faithful, and I know you love me. And because of those things, I can trust you fully and completely. And my gift to you now is control of my life. I trust you. I'm going to jump where I can't see because I know who you are. Will you all pray with me this morning? God, would you search our hearts and would you know us? This morning, if God's been speaking to you, if he's been calling to you and he's been saying, jump, you can trust me. Put your trust inside of me. Maybe it's for your salvation. You haven't been following Jesus, but this morning, he's knocking on the door of your heart. He's saying, let me in. And you're saying, all right, God, I don't know where this is all going to take me, but I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to turn away from this old life. I'm going to follow you from this day forward. If that's what God's speaking to you this morning, then answer that call. Surrender your life to him. Enter into relationship with him. Uh, Maybe there's just been some distance in your relationship with God and you don't yada him like you used to and you want to get back to that. This morning he's calling to you, not to guilt you or to shame you, but he's calling you because he loves you and there's so much more of him for you to have. Or maybe there's been something that you haven't been trusting God with. Maybe it's in a, a relationship. Uh, maybe it's in a career move that you have to make. Maybe it's with your finances or provision, protection. Maybe it's that there's a conflict going in. There's, you know there's something God's calling you to change in your life, and there's, you're just resisting that. But God's calling you, saying, this morning, you can trust me fully. Surrender this to me. Put your trust in me. I'm never going to let you down. And this morning, let's take a moment and surrender that to Jesus. Father, thank you that you speak to us. God, this morning we'll be honest with you and say that we believe, but help my unbelief. So God, in every heart that's struggling with unbelief, would you come, would you build their faith? God, would you reveal yourself, how good, faithful, and loving you are to them? God, would they be overwhelmed by who you are so that they can fully trust you? God, give them the strength to make that decision. God, give them the strength to follow through with it. Let them know the encouragement that comes from the Holy Spirit. Let them know the blessing that comes from relationship with you. And Jesus, bring other people alongside of them that as they share this with others, God, that they would be encouraged to continue to follow through in what it is that you're calling them to. God, let Radiant Church be known as a people who are filled with faith and trust in who you are. And we're a people who jump not knowing where we're going, but knowing that we can trust fully in you in every area of our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to continue to worship the Lord with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. And as the ushers are getting ready to take that up, I want to give you a quick update. Uh, The Babors, who we support in the Philippines, they're opening up a new location in Myanmar, which is an incredibly 
unchristian nation. And they were raising money to be able to start a business there because they don't just let Christians in there to try to convert people. You have to have a business reason to be there. And so they needed about $150,000 to be able to launch a cafe so it would be their reason to be in the country and then be able to go and uh, plant churches. And so uh, Radiant Church in Richland and some of the other Radiant Churches, we all gathered together and said, well, let's try to come up with $150,000 for them. So we were able to write a check for that, and they ended up getting over $200,000. Yeah. That wasn't all from us, to be fair. But because you all give sacrificially, I don't have to get up here and browbeat you to try to do these things. We're able to just give generously to see the kingdom advance in, in our own city, in our own nation, and even places as far away as Myanmar. So thank you so much for that. And God, as we give back to you, we thank you that you first have given to us. And Jesus, we pray for the Babors and all of the work that they're doing. Thank you for the thousands of churches they oversee in the Philippines. And God, thank you for this provision for them in Myanmar. And Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work there, that you would move and that tens and even hundreds of thousands of people would come to know you through the work that you're doing in this ministry. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And if you're new here today, thank you so much for being our guest. We know there's a lot of things that you could have done, but you chose to be here, and we're so honored by that. You might have received a communication card when you came in. Uh, if not, you can grab one at the information table. If you fill that out and turn it in at the information table, we have a free Radiant t-shirt for you as a, a gift to say thanks for being here. And then this week, I'll shoot you an email just welcoming you to the church and seeing if there's anything that we can do for you. Also today we have our Next Steps uh, Belong class going on, so if you're new here, you want to know more about the vision, the values of Radiant Church, what we're all about, you can come to that today. It's right after the service lets out in the Next Steps room. You can ask at the information table and they'll direct you to it. It's about 45 minutes long and I just share with you about the church. You get to know me a little bit. You can do some Q&A with me afterwards and see if this is the church family that you've been called to belong to. And then Christmas is coming. Uh, we're three weeks away from it, and one of the questions I get a lot is, are we doing church on Christmas Day? You betcha. Jesus' birthday, we're throwing a party. Yeah. And so here's what we're doing. We're doing a family service. So all the kids are going to be in here with us to accommodate that. We're going to do about 45 minutes. It'll be like a laid-back acoustic set. We'll have little drawing packets for all the kids in case they get antsy. Um, we're going to have some Zingerman's cinnamon rolls going to be a part of our festivities. And I encourage you, come casual. My kids will be in their PJs. Uh, because it's going to be hard getting them up, opening gifts, and then getting here. So my kids will be in their onesies. Bring your kids in their onesies. If you're an adult, please don't wear your onesie. <laughs> it's going to be real hard to preach looking out and seeing you in your onesie. <laughs> but come casual. Uh, don't try to force, like, i got to dress up for Christmas. If you want to, awesome. If it's going to be tough just to get here at 10 a.m. for 45 minutes, come casual. Let's celebrate the birth of Jesus and have a good time with our family. And then also, uh, our prayer partners... Uh, I'm going to ask them to come forward. They'll be right in this middle section here. And if we can pray with you about anything, uh, maybe it's you made a decision to follow Jesus, you want to know him more, you need prayer support in this trust thing that God's calling you to, maybe you need healing, provision, uh, a marriage thing, whatever, come, let us pray for you. We see Jesus move every week in response to the prayers of his people, and we would love to pray for you. If not, uh, go out, eat some snacks, drink some coffee, make some friends, and we'll see you back here next week. God bless. <laughs>